In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So as we saw uh, on the video, Nicodemus was one of the very few who did a real kindness for Jesus uh, at Calvary after his death. But his kindness was so stained with caution that, frankly, it had very little effect. Nicodemus, you see, was a very cautious man, the kind that wants to wear a belt and suspenders all at the same time. Nicodemus is mentioned five times in the New Testament, always in the Gospel of John. John tells us about some people that we never get to hear about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. And in every one of these instances, Nicodemus is very careful. Um, He never becomes all that he could be because his caution keeps him from being that. So in the first episode, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night uh, so, that he will be, uh, so that he will not be recognized by his fellow Jewish leaders. Jesus approaches him with a very open stance, but Nicodemus is cautious and he is very closed. Jesus opens himself to commitment. Nicodemus makes no commitments whatsoever. In fact, He leaves with all of his options open, very cautious. In the second episode in John, the Pharisees are looking for a way to trap Jesus, and they are debating how to do that. And Nicodemus finds himself wanting to say something on Jesus' behalf, um, but his head tells him to be cautious about how that might be perceived. And so he brings up a little technicality, a a loophole in the law, but um, when they shoot that down, he says nothing. The third scene that Nancy read to us is uh, about Calvary. Joseph of Arimathea, also a member of the Jewish council, begs for the body of Jesus so that he can give it a proper burial. Nicodemus offers spices with which the body can be buried. But both of them, according to the scripture, do so secretly. In other words, Nicodemus was willing to send flowers to the funeral, but he wanted the card to read anonymous. So why was Nicodemus so careful? That's the question I've been asking myself this week. And I've come up with a few possibilities that we might try on. The first is that maybe Nicodemus, like many of us, maybe Nicodemus just lacked self-confidence. In that story, in the seventh chapter of John, in this debate among the Pharisees, as soon as they say to him, you know that no prophet will arise from Galilee, Nicodemus immediately quiets himself. He doesn't say anything else. So maybe he just thought, well, they know more than me. They're the bright ones. Maybe his self-doubt caused him 
to never bring out the very best in himself. He just didn't trust his own instincts. He didn't trust his own opinions. That happens to a lot of us, doesn't it? I mean, it certainly happened to me. I can remember having this conversation with a friend of mine, a pastor, and we were comparing how little self-confidence we had when we first uh, came out of seminary. We didn't know anything. We didn't even know how little we knew. <laughs> Reminds me of the story about the preacher who was new to town. And he's walking down the street one day and he sees this little boy. And so he asks the little boy uh, for directions to the post office. And, and the little boy shows him how to get to the post office. And the boy uh, showed him and uh, the preacher says to him, um, well, if you come to church on Sunday, I'll show you how to get to heaven. And the little boy gets this puzzled look on his face and he says, oh, mister, I don't think you can show me how to get to heaven. You can't even find your way to the post office. <laughs> and that's sort of the way uh, we each felt as we were coming out of seminary. Um, all those years behind these cloistered walls, our heads buried in books, but really knowing next to nothing about the people that we were going to serve. And yet, this friend also told me about a man that he met at that first church that he went to. I, I don't remember his name. I'll call him Joe. This is the kind of advice Joe would give. Uh, Joe said to him, look, this is a very negative-minded church. Um, they really don't think they have a whole lot to contribute to the kingdom. But you have been called here. That means that God is going to empower you to do what you are going to do. He said, some people here are not going to like it. As a matter of fact, you will run into real antagonism. You can be sure of it. But do what you were called to do. Live up to what God has put in you, and that will make all the difference. And you know, what Joe said to my friend is equally true of those who are not preachers. Sometimes we just lack self-confidence. And so we hide from the higher calling that God has for each of us. That can be true, incidentally, of churches as well as individuals. That's why the writer uh, of the letter to uh, of 1 Peter says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You notice he doesn't say, you might be. You could be if you would just try a little harder. No, he says, you are God's own people. Live up to your calling. Become who you already are. Nicodemus, um, I wish Nicodemus would have heard that call from Jesus and responded to it. He would have been much more of a man than he turned out to be. But Nicodemus was just so careful. Or maybe Nicodemus' problem was that he was just too old. You know, every time they refer to him in the scriptures, they refer to him as the teacher. When the definite article is used, it usually implies that a person is a little older and to be revered. So you should refer to me as the teacher. <laughs> so maybe Nicodemus was just old. And he thought to himself, you know, here comes this new Jesus movement. You know, at my, my age, 
I really can't be much help. It's so sad when you hear people talk like that, right? You know, the Bible says that Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. Sarah, incidentally, his wife, no spring chicken. Moses was 80 when he met God at that burning bush. 80, for God's sake. (laughs) The Bible never uses the word retired. It's as though God is saying, if you are not dead, you are not done. (laughs) I remember hearing a story about Arthur Rubinstein, the uh, great pianist. Mary, you've ever heard of him? Um, Mary's a piano teacher. Given a concert in Los Angeles, he was 80 when he was giving the concert. He walked on, out on the stage. There was tremendous applause. Um, he sat down, and he played the first piece from beginning to end. And he made two very obvious mistakes. When he was done with the concert, the audience applauded anyway. After all, this was Rubenstein. He got up and he walked to the footlights, held up his hand, and he said, you know, I'm 80 years old now. And again, there was applause. He said, I take more chances now than I used to. I used to worry about things like playing all the right notes and keeping the right tempo. The stakes seemed higher then. Now that I'm rich and famous, I can afford to do whatever I want. So I'm not nearly so careful. But even I can't let this go by. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to play that first piece again. And he went right back to the piano and played the first piece, and he played it flawlessly. Now, he could do that. He could apologize and then go right back and do it again. He could be free and not worry about all the pedestrian performances before that because of his richness of experience, because of his age. I wish Nicodemus had understood that. But Nicodemus was just so careful. Or maybe Nicodemus' problem was that he just lacked courage like the cowardly lion on the way to meet the wizard. After all, he did come under cover of night, right? And it says, for fear of the Jews. Fear defeats a lot of people. You have heard it said before, a brave person dies only once, but a coward dies time and time again. It is so easy to slip into that kind of bored believing that boring way of living. Poet puts it this way. Some folks die by sharp metal, and some go down in flames. But most folks, inch by inch, playing at little games. Maybe that was Nicodemus' problem. Maybe he was just a penny-andy kind of person. I wish he would have been there that day when Jesus said to the disciples, you know, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Nicodemus might not have believed it, but it's true. The problem was that he was just so cautious. Headlines of the Royal Tribune, March 1993. The front page reads, 
risk pays off for Greenfield Presbyterian Church. Those of you who are visiting, those of you who are new to the congregation, you have no idea the risk that members of this congregation took back then when they decided to sell three plots of land to the north so that they could afford a full-time pastor. They decided they were not willing to just carry on and have some part-time pastor come and slowly bury them like so many churches around us right now. No, they decided they would invest everything in their future. What a shame it would be having come this far if we lost that spirit of courage. It is so easy to just get careful. Or maybe what held Nicodemus back was his unwillingness to risk his religious security. You remember Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was part of the, the ruling Jewish council. That means Nicodemus was an influential man. In other words, nobody had more at stake in the status quo than Nicodemus. For him to start following this itinerant rabbi from God knows where up in the Galilee would be tantamount to admitting that his tradition, his way of doing things um, was not necessarily the only way. He would have to continue to grow even at his age. It takes a lot to do something like that. It is so easy to mistrust new ideas or new ways of doing things. You know, I think about the things that the church has to face today that we never even talked about when I was growing up in the church. We didn't talk about whether gays or lesbians could be involved in ministry or could be married in the church. I didn't grow up in a society that was so secular that a lot of people wonder if they even have any need for God. When I was growing up, we didn't talk about the fact that you know, institutions couldn't be um, trusted, let alone churches. We didn't talk about ethical issues at that time like global warming or cloning or when does life begin and when should it end. You know, churches that only confront issues that were alive 40 or 50 years ago are rightly considered to be irrelevant. How often have you heard somebody say, I know it's true because I've believed it my whole life? Which is tantamount saying, it would be easier for a breeze to blow through a billiard ball than a new idea to get into their heads. <laughs> the important thing is not to be so secure in the past that we allow ourselves to be ignorant of the present. Today, most millennials are, are communicating in ways that we never dreamed of when most of us were growing up. So yeah, we should have videos, but that's just a part of it. How do we expect people to hear the good news if we're not allowed to, if we're not willing to speak their language? Cartoon in the New Yorker magazine. A group of people standing out in space. The world has gone on. And one says to the other, goodness me, the world has gone off and left us. Maybe that was Nicodemus's problem. Or maybe it wasn't Nicodemus's religious tradition. Maybe it was his money. You know, to be a Pharisee, it cost a lot of money. 
Nicodemus, in, in the passage that Nancy read to us, goes off and buys like 100 pounds of spices. That's the amount it took to bury, to bury a king. We're talking big bucks here. Maybe he was afraid that if he got too close to following Jesus, it might cost him a little of that nest egg of his. I wonder who the Pharisees are financially today, if not Presbyterians, who, along with Episcopalians, are the wealthiest denomination per capita. Who has the most to lose, anyway? The fact is, some people are tremendously good at making money. They have real talents. But it is such a sad thing when people become so attached to those talents that they can't see everything else. It's kind of like the athlete who can't talk about anything but sports. Or the scientist who actually believes that something is not real unless it can be proven by the scientific method. It's a fact. Study after study confirm this. The more financial resources people have, the less they give freely to others. Poor people give far more on a percentage basis than people who have a lot. Maybe that was Nicodemus's problem. I read this great story about a meeting, a miraculous meeting that happened, this was years ago, at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Remarkable meeting. Gathered around the table uh, were the president of the largest steel company in America, the president of the largest utility company, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the cabinet of the presidents of the United States, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, and the biggest broker, the bear of Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, and also one of the leading monopolists of the period, Ira Kruger. It was said that the money controlled around that table was greater than the budget of the United States at the time. You know what happened to those people? Charles Schwab, president of the steel company, died flat broke. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Robert Whitney, was pardoned from Sing Sing prison so that he could go home and die. That was also true of the cabinet member, Albert Paul, pardoned from prison. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Fraser, committed suicide, as did Jesse Livermore, as did Iva Kruger, because they all built their house on the sand. I wish Nicodemus had been there that day to hear Jesus talk about people who build their house on the sand, how great the fall can be. But even if he heard it, I suspect he would have been too careful. Or could it be, finally, that Nicodemus was simply deterred from following Jesus because of all the negative people that he surrounded himself with? Nicodemus, again, was one of the Sanhedrin. Maybe every time some vital part of his faith threatened to well up inside of him, it got sandbagged from either the left or the right by some kind of institutionalized, dead faith. You know, we sometimes underestimate how heavy a burden the negative of influence by others can be on us. 
Let me illustrate that by flipping the metaphor. Last summer, I, uh, I read Vince Lombardi's biography. It's called When Pride Still Mattered. Some of you will remember this. When Vince Lombardi came to the Green Bay Packers, the year before, they had lost all of their games. They had lost 10 out of 10 games. When Lombardi came to the team, he said to them, gentlemen, we are going to have a great football team here. We are going to win games. Get that. You are going to learn how to tackle. You are going to learn how to block. You're going to learn how to run. You are going to outplay the teams that you come up against. Get that. The secret of the whole matter will be what goes on up here. Let enthusiasm take hold of you. There were very few personnel changes the first year under Lombardi's leadership. But that first year, the Green Bay Packers won seven out of their first 10 games. The next year, they won a division title. The year after that, they won a world championship. And they went on to create one of the most impressive records of any football team in history. Because enthusiasm, like negativity, is contagious. Do you see why the Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, encourage one another and build one another up? You realize the power that you have if you ever get down to coffee hour on a given Sunday? If you go downstairs, the power that you have, you can either encourage each other or you can break each other. Really, by the, depending on the way you come across. I wish Nicodemus would have been there to hear Jesus say, you are the light of the world. So go out and brighten the corner on which you serve. You are the salt of the earth, so bring flavor to every part of life that you touch. To those trapped by financial resources, he said, seek first the kingdom. These other things will be given to you. To those who were wallowing in self-doubt, he said, if you have the face of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. I wish Nicodemus would have heard that. Be careful, friends. Be careful not to be too careful as you leave here this morning, as you continue to follow the one who has never been careful about the way he cares for you. God so loved the world. God so loves you. He gave his only son. Amen.